Hello there. You're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. We will also be doing the second part of our director's analysis on Akira Kurosawa, focusing this time on some of his samurai films. To start out with the news, we have some very sad news. Kevin Conroy, who is the voice of Batman in the animated series, the Justice League series, many of the animated films, as well as the Arkham games, he sadly has passed away at the age of 66 after a battle with cancer. That is tragic. It is. He will always be my Batman. I know. I mean, he is the voice of Batman, undoubtedly. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, horrible to hear that news the other day. Man, that sucks. True. He was young, too. Yeah. So, sadly, we will not be able to hear him give life to that character going forward. Hopefully, he and his, or, well, his family will um, be dealing with this, and hopefully everything will be okay with them, and he will rest in peace. But, yeah, sad news. Very. Now, we don't have any box office numbers for today, unfortunately, because we did them in the last episode. So make sure you go back and listen to our grab bag if you want to hear the box office numbers. So we're going to go straight into our Kurosawa episode. Let's start with the continued biography of Akira Kurosawa. Last we left off, it was the 60s, and he had been hitting a hot streak. And now it is the later 60s, and Japanese cinema is now hitting financial difficulties and Kurosawa is finding it very very difficult to secure enough funding for a lot of his projects so instead of staying in Japan he moves to Hollywood to try and secure funding over there for specifically a project called Tora 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 which is going to be a movie about Pearl Harbor from the American and Japanese perspectives directed by David Lean and Akira Kurosawa respectively and sadly we never got to see that version of the film never got developed upset it would have been incredible i mean that just sounds amazing i mean the film of course did actually come out and did still do that like split uh perspective thing with different directors coming in but imagine having david lean and akira kurosawa being the ones that are running either half of that film it would have been amazing exactly would be an epic for sure but uh yeah we never received that so after those sort of uh, tough comings in the 70s, he releases his first color film in the 19, in 1970, and it is not received well, which is a tough blow. I'm seeing a lot of parallels with his story, with uh, David Lean's story. Exactly. Which yeah. is very interesting. As he goes on, he starts to get more critical bombs, and uh, it's just probably making it harder and harder for him to make movies. But uh, the Soviet Union approaches him, and they invite him to make his next film there. So he makes Derzu Usala in Siberia, which won the best foreign film for that year. So he had a hit there. And then he went to make Kagemusha in 1980, which was his return to samurai films, big, colorful samurai epic, 
that was the precursor to his next film, Ron. He he has said many times that Kagemusha was very much like a, a like a dress rehearsal for Ron. Like he was he was prepping and practicing to get ready for this big epic called Ron in 1985, which he had been working on and storyboarding for 10, 15 years. He had painted every frame of the film with with actual paint and like made paintings of every how everything should look. And uh, it was the highest budgeted Japanese film at that point in time, $11 million, mm-hmm. which does not sound like a lot today. But in 1985, it was slightly more than that. <laughs> yeah. And for Japanese cinema specifically, yeah. And then after that, he made Dreams in 1990, obviously being based on his own dreams. So he was hitting that very introspective <clears throat> part of his career. And once again, he was having difficulties getting funding, even coming off the success of Ron. And so Steven Spielberg had to step in and help fund it by purchasing distribution rights internationally. And around that time, he did receive the Lifetime Achievement Award at the Oscars. So he's still being very much appreciated for all the contributions he's made to film. But even so... He's finding it difficult to continue to make work, but he is still committed to doing that. He's he made a couple films after Dreams, and he continued to write even more films, even though once again they weren't as well received as his peak and then his sort of renaissance uh, in the eighties. And unfortunately, he slipped and broke his back in nineteen ninety five. And so that effectively ended his film career. And then a few years later, in 1998, he died of a stroke. And the final screenplays that he had written after The Rain and The Sea is Watching were turned into films after his death um, in a sort of memoriam for him. But yeah, overall, as we can tell from like both sides of the biography, I mean, he was in love with cinema, always was trying to make films. He ran into a lot of roadblocks trying to do so, but still created a handful of some of the greatest films ever. So a huge legacy, one of the best directors out there for sure. So yeah, we're going to go ahead and talk about some more films of his. Remember our first part, we talked about Rashomon, Hiru, and High and Low. So go back to that episode to hear our thoughts on those. And in this episode, we will talk about Hidden Fortress, Seven Samurai, and wrong. So we will begin with Hidden Fortress in 1958. Neither of us had seen it beforehand, uh, but we did see it for this episode. Mm-hmm. I watched it two weeks ago. So my. Oh, wow. I also uh, watched it two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. So my thoughts are not very fresh. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess we can talk about the things that did stick with us, like the most striking elements. Mm-hmm. Um, And then our overall opinion. So what did you think of Hidden Fortress? This being the film that inspired George Lucas uh, with Star Wars. My initial impression is that I like the way the story is structured. I like what the story is in itself. But overall, I'm not as blown away as I am for a lot of his other films. It's definitely like... It's entertaining and it's fun to watch and it's funny at certain times because this is, you know, more of a a clean cut action comedy kind of thing, Mm -hmm. as well as having certain dramatic pieces. It's not as serious as a lot of his other films. 
and uh, I definitely have fun with it, but it's not mind blowing in a lot of ways other than, you know, the effort they went into recreating some of these things. And like the, the, of course, Kurosawa was like the master of blocking, you know, and staging. And it's just, it's going to be like that in every one of his movies. So of course, in this movie, it's still excellent and perfect. It's clever at times and it's fun at times, but it's not, it's not ground shaking and it's not changing me completely as a person or anything you know it's just a fun movie to watch and uh i enjoy it i suppose but not in love with it particularly like a lot of his other films i'm in love with a lot of the other movies both of the movies we're going to talk about after this one i'm in love with but this one i just like it gotcha yeah there are as you pointed out i mean there are certain moments that i think are mind-blowing especially in that sense of the composition the staging and whatnot oh, of course yeah. the staircase scene early Incredible. on in the film i was just watching that and just thinking of what a insane nightmare must have been to try and like wrangle all those extras and get that scene to happen the way it did and do so safely mm -hmm. um, so that was pretty mind-blowing seeing that and then there are some other moments um, particularly earlier in the film like when they're at they're in that well the hidden fortress part of it and they're digging a hole those two peasants are and i forget what exactly the context was but they're talking and then the two of them split up and walk along either side of the ridge to that mm -hmm. hole yeah. and both of them are still in the frame they're just like at the very edge of the frame and i was like wow, yeah you'd love to see stuff like that so they were they were debating turning in the princess like like reporting the princess to get the 10 pieces of gold and mm -hmm. they go around to the edge and then one of them runs off to go report and the other one stays there. But it's like the composition is fantastic. The way that they frame the characters is just a masterpiece. Absolutely. So, yeah, a lot of that stuff was great. And then, yeah, other things of like the finding the gold in the stick mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of ways that they continue to hide the fact that they are carrying gold and joining that one like fire festival. But then mm -hmm. it turns out that everyone's throwing in their wood into the fires yeah. and they have to throw the cart in there with it it's great like yeah, a lot of that stuff is really well done really well executed um quite clever so i like that i did like as well the the way that they built out the story of uh toshiro mifune's character being like that samurai that personal escort for the princess mm -hmm. and when one of those peasants does go off to try and report whereabouts of the princess in order to get the money we find mm -hmm. out that oh the princess already has been found and like the the reward has been given out she's been hanged but of course it's just one of the attendants that in the princess's place went to you know basically get sacrificed it was his so, character's sister oh that's even more crazy yeah wow you don't so, remember yeah. that? no i don't so that adds another layer onto it as well of like how this is so crucial for them and it's the clan mm -hmm. and the entire legacy of that hanging in the balance and then for the peasants it's constantly them i'm mm -hmm. um, just trying to make off with the gold at certain points whenever they can mm -hmm. and that's a place where they try to mine a lot of the comedy for it um and there's a lot of physical comedy too with them trying to climb up the the rubble that's along a particular hillside and they're not able to do it, so they keep just slipping down. Mm -hmm. So we see a lot of that stuff. I will say, though, it did ultimately become annoying of 
how often and how many times they kept trying to just like turn to their greed and trying to get the money it was definitely like like the the lesson they're trying to give of like not being greedy and like having that be a part of the story was definitely hit on the head way too many times and it definitely became frustrating watching them constantly jeopardize the mission just to get literally like maybe five more pieces of gold on top of the hundred that they already have i know yeah so that part was a bit frustrating and the idea itself which you already anticipate from the very beginning of that idea of okay they're going to learn to like put their uh focus into a higher cause rather than just getting as much gold as they can you see that that's coming but yeah the way that they go about it i mean i feel like they just yeah too often do they uh back tread and again try and get whatever additional piece of gold they can when they already have so many and it's like uh, yeah it feels like it's too much yeah like, dude when they're walking away from the fire pit and their backs are still covered in gold and then they go back to get like literally three pieces more and then they get caught and it ruins everything mm-hmm. that was very very frustrating to watch for sure I do overall the fire festival was an enjoyable scene. I thought oh, I did yeah. like how um the princess like she really enjoyed that even though this is like a festival being put on by the enemy clan I believe the Yamana is what it was mm-hmm. maybe no clue Yamada something like that. Um and then she is able to like sing that song later on when they're captured and then that is part of what triggers the uh, one guy to help them escape. So I do like how that came around. Um, and ultimately, yeah, just the fire festival itself, the way that all the dancing was going on and the way that we we're traveling with them as they're moving through that circle. Again, it's really well done. I mean, it, he has an incredible visual eye, Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah that stuff was great. Um, but yeah. I like the uh, the spear fight that Toshiro Mifune character has with the uh, general character. Mm-hmm. That was great. The way that that was filmed and the way that they went about it and the choreography between the two of them is fantastic. Yeah, I did like the choreography. I like how they would <clears throat> go through the banners every now and mm-hmm. then. And then he would constantly be like taking down the banners, trying to egg them on to come through. I did like mm-hmm. that stuff. Yeah. But uh, overall, I just wish it was a little bit less frustrating with those two, the C3PR2D2 characters being a little <laughs> greedy and obnoxious. But mm-hmm. I understand, I like I do like the story being from mostly their perspective. I just wish they had more to do other than be greedy. Like I like what George Lucas did with Star Wars, putting it also in that character's perspective, but then making them less obnoxious and more likable. Right. I feel like the story works better that way. But, you know, it still works decently well here. I will say about the princess in this movie, she is great. I think her character is really well done. I think she really well performs in the character. And I think it adds a lot to the story, her presence. I agree. All right. So what I I didn't put anything for our out of five rating. How many gold sticks out of five? I give it a four. I'm also giving it a four. I think the first uh, like hour or so, like when they are in that hidden fortress pit and then when they leave that and the few uh, members of the clan are staying behind in order to, Mm -hmm. 
you know, keep the that clan occupied and then give the message that, oh, they've finally taken the fortress. Mm-hmm. I think all of that was really well executed. Yeah, I thought it was I think great. a lot of what comes after that is quite good too, but I don't think it quite lives up to that part of it. Yeah. Um, so that is part of what weakens it in my estimation. But overall, it is still a really solid film. So yeah, I'm giving yeah. it a strong four. I would give it a strong four too. Now let's move on to Seven Samurai, which was made four years before The Hidden Fortress. It was, uh, if if Rashomon is what put Kurosawa on the map, Seven Samurai is what made him like a legend. Mm-hmm. This is his probably best well-known film and the one that he is praised for the most, I would say, is Seven Samurai. It has gone on to affect almost every filmmaker that has ever worked after him. It is just a phenomenal film. Ryan, was this the first time you'd seen it? It was. What was your impression? So I think it's very good. I'm not sure that it meet, uh, meets the expectations that I had going into it, knowing wow. that this is like hailed as one of the greatest films of all time. It's obviously considered his magnum opus. Mm-hmm. Um, I did also, the viewing experience for it was not the best. Oh, what happened? So just a whole bunch of stuff. But I had to view it uh, in chunks of three. Oh, so no. I was able to, to view the whole film. But yeah, I had to break it up. Oh, and no. And I intended to just break it up into two, but it had to be broken up into three. And so obviously that has some... You had to watch the whole thing all at once. a very stop. long film, though. It's very long. It is, um, but it, 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 I think, it's, it's one of those good long movies, to me at least. In right. the same way that uh, Bridge on the River Kwai or Lawrence of Arabia is like a good kind of long, and not like Dr. Zhivago, which is a bad kind of long. Mm-hmm. I would wager it could have been trimmed down. I don't think it needed to be this I long. disagree. But I'll fight you on that. <laughs> but yeah, I think overall it is really solid. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff that's included in here like i noted some of the things that really fascinated me and took me like mm-hmm. kiki chuyo butchered the name i'm sure but toshiro mifune's character it's kikuchio isn't it kikuchio I wrote it down wrong uh it's possible it's so the, his character i thought was quite fascinating yeah especially i mean later on we get the reveal of him being once a farmer and then he's what had happened to him and again the fact that his town had been harassed so much, like that monologue he gave of the farmers. Now they're always hiding everything. Um, and it's initially delivered in what seems to be just this contempt. But then, of course, it turns into partially that, but then also, yeah, just a recognition of like, this is what needs to happen in order to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, because farmers just will get victimized all the time. And so this is what they need to do to scrape by. Um, but he, doesn't want to do that anymore and so he's become what is essentially the representation of like power and self-sufficiency of being a samurai and so that's why he Mm -hmm. leans so hard into that role Um, but of course he's not quite able to be the true like representation of samurai Um, and so that's why he's partially set off from all those other samurai that are in the bunch Mm -hmm. so i think that whole approach to the character is just extremely fascinating yeah. And obviously well performed with Toshiro Mifune being in the role. Again, we talked at length about his screen presence. 
So yeah, he gives uh, an amazing life to the film, I think. Mm-hmm. That was great. And there were other moments. The, I believe, Shimada was his name, the main uh, samurai, the leader. Yeah. Who, in our introduction to him, he shaves his head mm-hmm. and puts on robes of a monk so that he can go in, fool the person that has captured a child so that he can end up saving him. It's awesome. And the whole town is watching it go on as well. Like, that's a great sequence. I think that's probably part of why I wasn't as huge in this film as I'm sure you are and many other people are. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of just great scenes sure. and sequences. But again, I'm not sure that all of them are needed to be threaded together in this three and a half hour film. You don't think sure the story works together well? I don't think they all coalesce in a way that like truly becomes more than some of its parts. I disagree. Well, go ahead and talk about all your praise for the film. Let me know why you adore it so highly. I would say that I love the length because it definitely takes place in pieces for a reason. I think it's about make like emphasizing how difficult it is to gather a team of samurai to do this job that is not worth the job that it is and then showing like the honor it takes or even like the extreme lengths that these samurai are in at this point to be willing to do something so crazy for so little because all they're getting is food so you have the samurai who are doing it for honor and then the samurai who are doing it for uh like the desire to actually eat food because they are poor and then you have kikuchio who's doing it for his pride and to like show off that he is a samurai and you have all these different characters coming together and you need the time to really flesh out the characters some of them less than others for sure but i would say that they do flesh out who these characters are somewhat entirely except for the one what is it the one bald monk who doesn't die or the one the one bald samurai who doesn't die i feel like he's the only one that doesn't get fleshed out enough mm-hmm. you know what i mean he's the one yeah. that's bald and, and clean shaven the the bald one that has the beard his name is gorbe he, i feel like his character's fleshed out enough to be like a sidekick to shimada of being like that assistance to him in developing the team and keeping them together but the other bald samurai for sure he was the only one that i felt like there needed to be more story for that they didn't fit in for whatever reason. But there's seven of them. You can't expect it to be done flawlessly for all of them. Mm-hmm. I also feel like it's beyond just combining these characters and then putting them in that presence of being in the village and trying to protect it. And then the intricacies that go with it. I feel like it's also outside of the story, just like exemplary when it comes to the filmmaking and like how it is made and like how it is shot for the time, especially the coverage that they get, the way that they've edited it together to make it so flawless. And then the staging on top of that, I think is worth study alone, not to mention the story that I think works very, very well because you are combining the samurai together to fight for this village. That's not worth fighting for in, in, in the eyes of most samurai. And then they are sacrificing their lives to do so. I feel like it's just like there's just no way to truly explain why it's good. It's just really, really good. It's just hard to put into words the the effort that's put into this movie. I mean, just watching it, 
I'm thoroughly drawn in. I'm thoroughly entertained. I am caring about all of the characters and I'm sad when they die. The chemistry that these characters have together is incredibly like well-developed. The, the consequences to their actions are really well shown and well explored. And I feel like as much as people say it's a great movie, I think it's a great action movie and then like a really good drama. You know, I think the action takes the the cake for sure because this is, you know, 1954. There's not many action movies at the time. And then the action in this movie is exemplary and incredibly well done. And then the drama that happens building up to it is also just really well done. I, I do love the bits they have that are like the calm between the storms of the attacks in that second half of the movie when they are fighting the villagers. I did like that approach a lot of... Yeah. Because I was wondering how they were going to ultimately execute that. And they mm-hmm. essentially dedicate the final hour to just multiple waves of those mm-hmm. bandits coming in. And then, yeah, you do get those quiet moments in between where... And I really do love that part where Shimada's like on the banner. He's crossing out the enemies that they've taken off. But there's yeah. that one moment where he's like, okay, there's only like 14 left. But these last seven came at a high price. Yeah. That's when they started losing villagers and one of the samurai at that point and so i was like that stuff i thought was really well done instead of just having it be one ultimate battle that's drawn out for 30 minutes or whatever mm-hmm. they send it in waves and then we get to see the the initial high of them like they, okay they were able to successfully yeah. defend and keep the bandits away like they attacked mm-hmm. from three different directions and they got pushed back on each of them to later on once they start suffering losses mm-hmm. how the morale sort of goes down and and they have to fight to get back on the plane of like, okay, we need to fight. We need to continue to defend ourselves, even though we've already lost some people. I would argue that I think the reason you don't like it as much is because there's not one overall big theme that's trying to tie everything together. Okay, calm down. I don't think the, you are right that overall things like that will make will pitch up a film basically in terms of my estimation. Of but I'm saying that's why you I don't like, like it. it as much. I'm not sure that that's exactly why. Like well, you mentioned the action it, it's is true one that of the there is that, not. It's true that there is not one big major theme for the movie, correct? Sure. But and it's true I mean, there that are for that in movie and you like movies more when that happens, correct? I'd say I do love when there's a strong theme. It doesn't necessarily mean there has to be only one pure theme that everything is connected to. Sometimes I agree, that but you, you do really enjoy that. Better. You but have really enjoyed that in the past. Little themes sprinkled throughout, which I'd say this one does a lot with like certain characters, like with sure. Kiku, no, not Kikuchio. Kikuchio. So Mafune's character, um, like that one in particular. Uh, and then with the young samurai, we see him also going through a similar but different approach to that of like okay becoming a man becoming samurai mm-hmm. what that means we see him looking up to that one particularly noble samurai um so like there are those things sprinkled out yeah throughout it but yeah i wouldn't say that's the sole or major reason why i mean partially i'd say i'd say it's it a is, part... I was just disengaged because getting viewing experience wasn't as great as it could have been um and then Perhaps you bring why. up the action as well i'm not sure that i would agree of it being like a truly phenomenal action for the time, sure, but um, I, I think, I think still... it works. 
on multiple levels the way that he's like using the elements like the natural elements of the wind and the rain in a lot of these scenes to really pitch up the tension and to i agree with that like yeah when it's raining at the end in the final uh confrontation like the final wave i think that works well of course mm-hmm. i'm just saying it's not as um clean i would say all the action um as i was uh, hoping for going into it like there are a lot of times where i feel like it's clean. a little muddled I think it's very, very clean the way they go about it. I disagree. I think the way they're editing is intentionally in a stylized manner to emphasize the danger of, let's say, there is one of these bandits on a horse and he got he, they let him in, right? They do the thing with the gate where they open their defenses to let one in at a time. You've got one guy on a horse. It's not that intimidating of a presence, but to these farmers, that is, you know, deadly. That is scary. And so I think they're intentionally stylizing the way in which they're filming by having the perspective of the women who are hiding in the uh, house watching this bandit ride back and forth on this horse and showing that they're truly terrified by his presence, the way that they're filming it and then the way that they're editing it so that it's showing the exact same shot one and then the other and then the other intentionally. Like like showing the same shot several times back to back to show the the presence that this force has within this village that the that the audience would not be as terrified. We wouldn't be scared of one bandit on a horse. We would be scared of the horde of bandits. But these farmers are scared of this one guy who's on a horse. And then you show them finally taking him down. And then you have this big wide shot of all of the... It takes all of these villagers. It takes this whole band of villagers just to take down this one guy and, and, and swarm him in order to kill him. And that's the reason why they have not been able to fend off the bandits so far is because they haven't been working together and even together they can't stand against a whole horde of 40 bandits or more since they killed a bunch in the fire. So I feel like the way they're filming the action is definitely to a degree where it is stylized. So it might not make it seem as clean. Technically it's not as straightforward as an action scene might be, but there's like a reason behind every decision for sure. And I think that comes through very strongly. And I think that's what elevates it to be better than some action movies. It's not just showing cool action. It's showing cool action that is elevated by decisions being made to emphasize a certain feeling. Sure. I don't know if I entirely agree with it in every instance. I think many of those cases I would agree with. I'm not sure all of them are. I would wager some of them are limitations due to practical concerns as well. Um, But at any rate, it didn't... uh, succeed at least for me in in evoking the feeling that it was hoping to evoke but clearly for you it did with those decisions related to the action so i think you need to watch it in one big sitting not breaking it up at all because i know you wanted to break it up into two but i think really you need to just sit down and watch all three and a half hours start to finish i mean yeah whenever it hits a theater for a anniversary i'll go and see it sick Anything else you want to bring up? I just think it's a really, really good movie. I think it's really well made. I think the story is simple but solid. I think the characters have good chemistry. I think the deaths are saddening because we care about the characters, which is important. I think the lessons are small but learned. I think the action is stylized but well executed. I think the decisions being made behind the camera by Kurosawa himself are are the decisions that a master filmmaker would be making. I think he's definitely 
very experienced and using a lot of his skills here. And I think it is entertaining. All right. So how many swords in the mounds out of five? You make me want to say four because there's supposed to be four, but I'll say five. (laughs) Gotcha. I will say four since there were the four. And that was a great shot at the end. It's obviously one that's shown a lot. They're all great shots. It was familiar, but, well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, you know, that one was a money shot for sure. It was the money shot. So, yeah. Again, it's good. I like it. It's I think you need to rewatch it. I think not, you I think you would give it at least a four and a half. I mean, we'll see. With yeah, a good viewing. I do the full sit in a theater and go through it. Um, we'll see what comes of it. But yeah, it wasn't quite the revelation that I was maybe anticipating. That's also probably a thing, the expectations. Because it has a lot yeah. to live up to with the reputation it's had. But... <clears throat> Yeah, still a really solid film. Again, he's he's incredible. So, uh, masterful work as yep. always. Now let's talk about one of his last films, the last samurai film he made, Ron, in nineteen eighty-five. Ryan, you saw this last night. I did. I used All your right. <laughs> your copy of it. You gifted to me, so or we'll lend so it your, to me. Your thoughts are very very fresh. They indeed are. Now this this movie I saw because the Criterion copy that I gave you is discontinued. They don't even sell it anymore. What? Why? Because they lost the distribution rights, and so you can't oh, wow. find a DVD of Ron for sale, like a, a brand new one. I think anywhere. So I had to get this one off That's of great. like eBay or something, and have it shipped to me. And it was slightly more expensive than it would have been had I got it brand new. And I mean. I got I bought this because I had heard I like Akira Kurosawa and I heard so much about this movie. My dad had told me that this movie's awesome. So I bought it and I watched it when I was like fifteen, I think might have been the first time I saw it when I got the package. I mean, just tremendous. Like it stopped me in my tracks with how like immaculately perfect it was. It's one of those movies that I think there's so much preparation and so much good decisions behind it that I feel like it is the closest you could get to a perfect film. There's only a few movies that I would say that about, and this is definitely one of them. Ryan, your first impressions? It is tremendous. It's great. It's so good. Yeah, this was one where, again, I mean, you were hyping it up subtly every time we would bring it up and you would mention it, but, I mean, it met and exceeded those expectations. It is a phenomenal film. I mean, the visual language of it that goes into it and telling it is fantastic. It obviously has its roots in Shakespeare, right? It's an adaptation of King Lear. Mm-hmm. So the story itself, the tragedy that unfolds is phenomenal. Uh, and those two elements work together so well because it is just, it's one of those films, and this is part of why I could sense in Seven Samurai why maybe it didn't quite hit the level that I was hoping it would hit is during Ron. Like I was sitting mm-hmm. there parsing out the decisions that were being made both on like the character level, the characterization mm-hmm. that was going on and the movements going on there, as well as all the, like the blocking, the colors that mm-hmm. are being used there, the composition when we cut, cause there's a lot of times where we're just sitting with a particular shot and the characters aren't moving around too much. And it has a sort of theatrical stage, like uh feel to it because we're just mm-hmm. sitting there with these characters. Um And so, yeah, like every, decision I was being made I was trying to parse out why it was being made because it just felt 
like again like there was mastery at play and everything was so uh intentional Mm -hmm. and that was really delightful for me and i love having that like Mm -hmm. whenever there's a film where i'm consciously as i'm watching it i'm like feeling the sense of like wow this is powerful i need to take note of that or i need to process Mm -hmm. this or figure out what's going on here it just lets me know that i'm extremely engaged in that uh, there's something to this film that I want to go back to and explore more. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's always a signal to me that a film is working for me. And this one throughout, I was heavily engaged and always Just... trying to parse out the incredible artistry that play. Yeah, it's absolutely incredible. The The thing that I know about this movie that I absolutely love is that Akira Kurosawa, who's trained as a painter, spent 10 years painting every frame of this movie. And then by the time they went to make it, he had almost lost all of his vision. Like he was going blind. And so he couldn't like frame the shots himself. So he would just show the paintings to his assistants who would frame it for him. So all of these like decisions are like Kurosawa made, but carried out by his assistants who are just using his paintings as reference. So thank God he went through the detail of painting every frame. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, it almost feels like you're watching a painting in motion. The way that the colors work, in the way that the framing has it like it's just oh it's incredible the yeah, one perfect. shot of the castle where the the king is is leaving the burning third castle and you have the soldiers the the yellow all the way on the left and the red all the way on the right just and then they separate i mean just oh it's just so good it's yeah, just it's so fantastic. good there's so many shots like that that are incredible it's probably to me the most visually stunning movie I've ever seen. It's to me, it's probably the most up there with like Mad Max Fury Road or uh, Avatar. Like, just one of the most, if not the most, visually stunning films I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's up there for me for sure because it is fantastic. It is one of those, again, that phrase of like every frame of painting. You can pause this film at any point and just make it. Uh, painting that you hang up on the wall and it would mm-hmm. be immaculate and be the best yeah. painting you have in the house because it is it's just bad, like stunning every single shot that they have there and again as you point out like the compositional choices alone but all the color as well and this mm-hmm. is the first film of Chris Hours that we're talking about that has been in color mm-hmm. and it's kind of sad that he wasn't able to use color for his films earlier his on. His use of because, color for a man who spent most of his career making black and white films, his use of color is extraordinary. It is because I and you can I mean, sense he that he was like, I still. want to be able to use all this color, like this entire <laughs> spectrum, yeah, um, to evoke so many feelings and moods and another tool to tell the story. Mm-hmm. He was prevented from using after so many of the films, and it shines here, like how masterful he is because yeah, he's able to add that into his arsenal seamlessly mm-hmm. um and it is so it elevates it so much yeah yeah incredible so we tell me talk. about the story tell me about the the parts of the story that you liked what what really great i mean of course it's king lear right so naturally yeah a great foundation for sure um sure. and i'm interested to see how many changes there were mm-hmm. are you have you read king lear i have not read king lear i own I king either. lear and i have not read it I'm looking at it right now on my bookshelf. <laughs> well, maybe you can read I it bought it because of the... this movie and then never read it. Gotcha. Because, yeah, I'd be interested to go through and see what exactly the changes are. But I am always mm-hmm. fascinated by updates to 
classic stories and we see a lot of stuff like that with Shakespeare like the great example is Romeo and Juliet being made into West Side Story yeah um, I'm always fascinated by when they're updated or translated into a different culture and just seeing how that fundamental story will remain the same but then um, the dressing of it basically will change and certain elements of it will adapt to whatever the culture is so seeing how that translates to feudal japan i think would be an interesting thing to examine but mm -hmm. yeah the foundation here is excellent we have the three sons and the father and he's old now he has conquered so many uh lands but he is now stepping down he's going to pass on the authority of the house to the eldest son taro um and then mm -hmm. we see Saburo, right? Saburo? Saburo. Saburo. I'll be honest. <laughs> As I was thinking through it, I kept thinking Subaru, and I was like, no. But for whatever reason, that was the one that always stuck out to me. You did the same uh, thing with Kikuchio. You wrote you wrote it backwards, and here you said Kikuchio. Well, that was me truly not knowing. But I'm saying, like, anytime I thought of Subaru, like, even watching the film, I was thinking, I'm like, where's Subaru? He's got to come in. So, it's like me with Charlie Crist and always <laughs> thinking Chris Christie. <laughs> exactly, yeah. It's just Subaru. I don't know why, but it flows far more than Subaru. Um, or Subaru. So if I say Subaru, sorry, but I'm talking about the third son. So he uh, sort of rejects the father's announcement of stepping down. And he's the most outspoken about this. And the father's pointing like, oh, you're just being contrarian. Like, calm down. But as we know throughout the rest of the film, he's actually the most genuine because the other sons are doing the same sort of thing where they're like, Oh, you're so amazing. How can we possibly live up? But as Subaru points out, he's just saying those honeyed again. phrases. I know it's going to happen. I'm sorry. You just got to live with it. It's going to be Subaru. Uh, the honeyed phrases that they're offering, mm -hmm. um, but they don't truly mean it. Like they really relish the fact that he's stepping down so that he can step into a role of greater authority. He, however, is against that and then i love the arrow demonstration as well i'm curious if that was ripped straight from shakespeare um, but mm -hmm. he gives each of them a single arrow tells them to split it in half each of them do gives them three to represent each of his children so if they're sticking together it's harder to break them but then saburo cracks it over his knee and shows like there's always ways to split them apart and then he gets banished for it for pointing that out as mm -hmm. does that one advisor um, so he's kicked out. The two sons are getting the first castle and second castle respectively. And we just see through the rest of the first half, basically, uh, Hidatora struggling to actually relinquish his power while each of the sons are more confident in stepping into those roles and shunning their father who no longer has actual strict authority over them. Um, and then let's talk about the third castle and the attack on there. Oh my God. Again, this is one of those things of like that decision to cut out all the diegetic sound. So we don't hear the horses rumbling. We don't hear any of the sounds of like swords clashing or arrows getting sent or the muskets being fired. Anything it's a bold like that. move. It is a bold move and it's so effective. But I was interested in hearing your opinion because I think there's multiple potential reasons for why he could have done it. But is there any that stand out to you of why Kurosawa decided to make this decision? I think it's meant to make it more haunting and sad than to make it epic. 
Because right. like when you watch like a war movie and you see all of these things happening, like when I talked about All Quiet on the Western Front, you see all these horrors that are happening around you. The sound really makes it more realistic. It puts you in there because you're hearing the screams, you're hearing the guns, the bombs, the dirt. You're hearing everything in real time. When you take out the sound and you just sit in silence or in this case, like very haunting music, you are like it's like you're being forced to watch rather than participate and watching it makes it more horrific than being in it. It's like that thing where um, there was a thing where they took a bunch of World War II German soldiers and they put them in a theater and they made them watch footage of like a concentration camp and they all cried and were horrified at what had happened and what they had taken part of. And it's that idea of like, you're watching the crimes happen. You're not in it. You're not in the action. You're not on the ground. You're watching this horror happen as a third party perspective. And being in that third party, you have the clarity to realize the horror that's happening around you. It's it's making you watch it instead of be in it. Because when you're in it, if you had thrown in all that noise and all the action, it still would have been cool. still would have been awesome. But you would have just been really excited and intense, like like the soldier, like the soldiers who are in there fighting. You would have had your heart pumping and you would have been, you know, participating in, in all of it. But when you slow it down and you take out the sound, your heart's pumping a little less, you're a little less tense and you're forced to watch what's happening. Yeah, I think that hits the nail on the head because you're mm -hmm. right when you're the whole point of like adding in all those realistic war sounds is to align mm -hmm. you with the characters and make you feel like you're part of it so the horrors they're experience are those that you will ideally be experiencing as well but when you take that sound out as you're saying you aren't feeling the like heart pumping uh intensity of it because it's very clear that okay you are not meant to be in alignment with these characters that are going through that but you do have that mm -hmm. vantage point of watching all this go down yeah i think it it uh intensifies the feeling of the sadness that you're mm -hmm. watching this go down like you're very distanced from it right because again we're not hearing the realistic sounds that would be going on but there's nothing that can be done to mm -hmm. stop it you're just being forced to watch it play out and i think it i think that helps to you know reinforce the the fact that they're talking about the futility of this of you mm -hmm. know the war that's taking place of family being turned against mm -hmm. family just mm -hmm. for power instead of <laughs> like anything else so it's mm -hmm. it does help i think draw out that feeling of this is awful and horrific and it's pointless and yeah. it's inhuman as well and so we're not feeling those realistic sounds instead we're just being forced to watch it play out in front of us mm -hmm. absolutely wondering like why why does it have to be this way it doesn't have to be this way um, yeah they do this nothing can they, stop it yeah they do this a lot in war movies like if you ever see, like they do this in Saving Private Ryan, where there will be a moment where the character's in battle and then a bomb will go off near them. And so they'll have the ringing in their ears. And the reason to do that is to cut off the sound and only have this ringing playing so that you are now a viewer like the character who's viewing what's happening and feeling futile and useless and separated in a way from, from mm -hmm. the events that are going on. So like it is an intentional direction that a lot of people do in war movies. This is definitely like, taking it to a whole new level that makes it even more horrific absolutely yeah and then you point out as well the score that's being played is much more haunting 
um, more low key than some like huge exhilarating orchestral piece that's made to be epic. So I think that decision is also an extremely good one. And then we have, well, again, talking about the like visuals, which are off the charts insane. Kitatora is just sitting there in a trance as the flying arrows, the flaming arrows are flying through. So beautiful, so amazing. Um, oh, yeah. Evocative. And then you it's have incredible. the uh, the sound does return when Taro is shot. And that's and so the I other think, thing that they do is they use the advantage of it being quiet to make his death more shocking. He is now and in work. He is it's now so effective. Yeah, he's in the. It has a low shot and makes him look big and tall. And as he's standing over this burning third castle, he is now the ruler of these lands, undoubtedly, because he has beaten his father. And then, bam, the sound comes back. He's shot. He's dead. He's done. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. It is. The choices absolutely. are brilliant here. For sure. So, yeah, I was amazed when that happened, too, because didn't see it coming. And that's part of what they're doing. They're lulling you into that. That sense of again, you're just watching from that third person mm-hmm. vantage point. You're unable to prevent anything. You're seeing the futility, uselessness, the horrific bloodshed that's going on. Then all of a sudden, we're smacked in the senses when the sound returns and he is shot and dead. And then now we're thrust back into hearing all of those sounds and watching it still continue to play out. Um, since it's not even over once that occurs, the the bloodshed continues needlessly. So, yeah, incredible choices being made there. Really effective. Definitely worked for me. Um, and then later on, we see just another incredible, beautiful image of those moving portraits. When Hidetora, the jester, and the advisor are in that field. Oh, my God. And it's the long grass is being swept by the wind. Mm-hmm. And whatever they did to get that shot is incredible because it looked like it was about to storm out there, but they're like, quick, we need to get out into that field as the wind is coming through because it would be an incredible shot. And it certainly is. Um, yeah, it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. So I also think the whole decision to visit the blind man, which does feel mm-hmm. like a very Shakespearean thing to do. Yeah. Uh, this man that had his eyes, eyes gouged out by Hidatora is now, living in this humble shack alone in Hidatora as he's suffering from his madness and uh, becoming more senile is having to be tended to in the shack. And of course that revelation of, Oh, this is a man that I had done that horrific thing too. He's being confronted with the same horrors that, you know, he inflicted on so many people and seeing mm-hmm. the consequences of that after he just, you know, suffered the same sort of, uh, feeling of being attacked and kicked out of his home and his castle and witnessing it burn down and all of his men around him die. Mm-hmm. He's now seeing a man who also faced all of that and is unable to see and yet is uh, either begrudgingly or out of some sort of sense of just wanting to be a better person is providing some sort of assistance to him or at least holding his tongue and not lashing out at him as I'm sure mm-hmm. he probably would like to do. Um, so that stuff is just, I mean, that's incredible writing. I mean, you love to see it. Classic stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> really well done. What do you think about La- Lady Kade? So this character, very fascinating. And I was hoping they were going to go for this sort of thing of someone like pulling the strings in the background for their own purposes and being very nasty and vicious. And they went so far with it. <laughs> 
she is so awful, but so she's great, smart and compelling. It's it's amazing to see, yeah, the way she's able to, as they point out many times, like put her spell uh, on Jiro and Taro, and be the the thing that is picking apart at this family at every turn she can in order to exact revenge for again her family being attacked and killed and her being forced to marry the son of the person who did all that so it makes sense like why she has these feelings of yeah, hatred towards this family she's got righteous motivations yeah for, for sure. sure but then of course you know she takes it too far she goes crazy with lady it. sue um that was just so hardcore i was like look you don't need to, I mean, ask for her death. You're already getting him to divorce her. Why you got to kill her? Because she suffered the same thing that Kade suffered as well. Like her family was no mercy, I guess, torn apart man. and murdered. Yeah, apparently. Um, and she does point out, she's like, oh, I only care about myself. Like she verbalizes that. So it is clear that she's just doing what she can to propel herself into the best possible position so that she can do what she needs to to tear apart this family or at the least if she can't do that then she'll remain in a position of authority and privilege um so she's not you know suffering a horrible yeah. life but mm. yeah hardcore to go after lady sue like that um and i do think the whole bit of it was such a good line and good delivery too when she's asking about the salt do they have salt at the second castle good you'll need to use that for the head when you bring it back here because otherwise the heat will like make it decompose and it'll be disgusting and someone as beautiful as Lady Sue shouldn't suffer that. I was like, wow, she's so cold and calculating. It's and great. it's such a great, like that whole execution and idea conception there was fantastic. Awesome. And then later when he brings back a fox head statue. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. And then does that whole thing of you got to be careful and these foxes are out there and they're uh, deceiving humans. So good. You just love to see it. Uh, so yeah, that stuff was fantastic. And then with uh, Saburo, nailed it. Saburo, he arrives and his army is standing off against Jiro's army. And then, of course, those other two lords show up. So they're waiting mm -hmm. to seize the opportunity of, again, this family tearing itself apart. And then uh, the jester comes up, tells them about Hidatora. Uh, and then Subaru goes and tries to meet with Hidatora, and then they yeah. have their conversation. Shout out to the Jester, too. I love the Jester. Yeah, the Jester was great. I think that was all, another very fascinating character of him being so free of criticizing the uh, the Lord Hidatora, and then mm -hmm. he ultimately sticks with him. Like, he's the one that, out of all those other characters, I mean, he stays by his side. And isn't banished by him and then still chooses to remain with him, even though we see that he has that conflict of wanting to leave. Another great line of saying the mm -hmm. like only a fool stays on a a boulder when it's starting to roll or something along those lines. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, that's also shout out to when he said, uh, if you like the cliff so much, jump and then he just jumped off the cliff. <laughs> and then that he runs down and he's just sitting there at the very <laughs> base of the cliff with like the most shocked expression on his face. That's my favorite part. Yeah, that is really good. He just yeah, leaps the, off. The expressions of that actor who plays Hidatora and whatever oh. makeup they're doing as well on his yeah. face and the like the goatee and the crazy hair combination, all mm -hmm. of that is 
really amazing as well. Yeah. He's in uh he's in Ikaru. Is he? As he's the young Yuga. detective, the main young oh, wow. detective. Yeah. It's Tatsuya nice. Nakadai. He's still alive. Dang, that's crazy. How old is yeah. he? Like 90, I think, 91. He's still he's still Insane. in movies and stuff. Well, cool. Good for him. Great performance. He nailed yeah. it. So yeah, we have uh, Subaru and Hidetora, and they have that conversation. We see Hidetora begging for forgiveness and realizing the error of his ways, and so they're able to reconcile. And then that scene of them on horseback where Hidetora is talking about just wanting to have that conversation with uh, his son. That's like all he wants to do. Which, again, connects back to what we heard at the beginning when he was saying, oh, you're so contrarian and willing to like be so outspoken uh, in a way that's out of line because mm-hmm. I favored you out of the other kids. He was saying like he spent too much time with him and it made him soft. So we do see like they had the strongest connection out of any of the family members. And here they're able to reconcile and he's going to go bring him back to his his castle and they're going to be able to live together. And then he gets shot. Super oh. gets shot. So sad. We don't even... I, I don't even think we saw who the sniper no, we was did. or what became of him. Oh, we it's did. just... Because remember when Jiro's like, uh, the first person who kills Saburo is the hero of the day and then like the bunch of people run off. You see them running away again after they shoot him. Uh, you do? Gotcha. Yeah. It's just a really quick shot. But damn. Devastating. Hardcore. It's a quick thing though because you hear the gunshot and then he just slumps over and falls off the horse. Mm-hmm. Like you don't see any bullet wounds or anything. He just dies. Indeed. And then Hidatora is mourning him and then ultimately dies as well in Mm -hmm. the grief. So yeah, he suffered all of the stuff that was probably coming to him since again, he was a brutal, vicious warlord. But in his final days, he sees his family fall apart, trying to kill each other, rejecting him. And then the one son that did care for him genuinely and then was going to help protect him. He is slain right in front of him. And so it's too much for him. And so he, he dies as well. And then we have the, the jester is cursing the gods. And then the advisor is like, no, don't do that. It's them who are dealing with uh, like tragedy because they have to see us constantly killing each other since humans are unable to live together in peace. And then that cuts to the first castle getting attacked and sieged. And then we see a revelation of Sue dying, like the head being brought. And then that cut to her in the field and just her body. And then like there's something laying over where her head would be. That's Mm -hmm. of course decapitated. That's insane. The advisor then goes and kills Lady Kade. And then we see the blood splattering on the wall. Great. Bright, vibrant red. And it's just sliding down the wall i mean so amazing again the evocative Mm -hmm. visual choices that he's making here and then we cut to hitatora and subaru being carried through that desolate field similar to what he had said earlier in the film of his dream what he was thinking would become of him and in a way it did and we held on that shot for a long time too of them just walking through that that frame mm-hmm. and it's quite sad again just the yeah. pointlessness of all these people dying and for what same thing with lady sue like her death as well 
since she was by far, I mean, the most good person that there was. I mean, she wasn't hurting anyone. We don't even see her like being vicious towards Hidatora when she would have all the right to be. Even he chastises her for that when they had that conversation. And then she gets killed when she's trying to go back and get something and then return to her her brother who's blind, who she's taking care of. And then she Mm -hmm. dies in this whole thing so needlessly. It's like, come on, man. You hate to see it. Yeah. And then that final, final shot. Oh, so good. Brother, yeah, in the standing on that burned castle of his family with the sun setting in the background. He's all alone. He's like with his walking stick going towards the edge and you're fearing that he's going to fall off, which I would have been like, come on, everyone's getting killed at this. But thankfully, he doesn't die, but he does lose the scroll, which had the Buddha on it. Um, which was supposed then, to be the thing that was going to stay with him and protect him. Exactly. And then, of course, he's just, again, he's just left on those ruins alone, helpless, without his sister coming back. Tragic. True tragedy right here. Exactly. Just such powerful imagery as well of everyone. Everyone got burned. Everyone suffered. And for what? For nothing. For nothing. Just for people trying to grab onto more power. Violence begets violence. Exactly. And everyone suffers for it. So, yeah, it was a very powerful ending. An extremely powerful film. Again, just the story itself, all those performances, and of course, the visual look of the film, all of that was master class. Oh, just the best. Just mm-hmm. the absolute best. Just incredible. Indeed. Anything anyway, else you want to point out about this film? No, just if you haven't seen it, please go see it. Find it somewhere. You can probably rent it on YouTube. It's incredible. That, that is crazy that it's not being offered anywhere because all the other it's hard to find or most of the other Kurosawa films. I think pretty much all the ones we've discussed. There's problems are on HBO distribution. Max. There's distribution issues with this one specifically, and Kage. Well, no, Kage Musha just got a Criterion release recently. Ah, uh, cool. Yeah, it's the first Akira Kurosawa on Blu-ray. I think is Kage Musha, but Ron is definitely hard, hard, hard to find. But I think you can get it on YouTube for $5. That might be the only way to do it. But I don't know how good the quality is on that. Anyway, if you haven't seen it, go find it. Watch it. Ron is amazing. R-A-N, spelled like Ran. Ron is awesome. Any other thoughts, Ryan? Is it? No. What should we say for the star rating? Uh, fox heads. Out of, ha- <laughs> out of five fox heads, how do you rate this film? Oh, a full five. Oh, me too. It's just the best, isn't it? It is extremely good. It's just, yeah, you love to see it. It will you love to see it. Flawless, flawless film. Just mm-hmm. the closest you can get to perfect. Just amazing. That is our director analysis on Akira Grosso. We wrapped up both parts. Maybe Indeed. one day we'll do a part three sometime next year. Perhaps. Perhaps pick up some of the leftovers we didn't get to. But anyway, Indeed. for now. That's all the time we have. If you would like to give your thoughts on the show, you can email us at theboxofficeshowpod at gmail.com. Our main title theme for this show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. 
If you like the show, please give us five stars on whatever podcast app you're listening to. And be sure to tune in next week. Stay tuned.